Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Anton Zakwer podcast. Our guest today is Frederick Marx. And Frederick Marx is an internationally acclaimed Oscar and Emmy-nominated director and writer with 45 years in the film business. He was named a Chicago Tribune Artist of the Year, a Guggenheim Fellow, and a recipient of the Robert F. Kennedy Special Achievement Award. <clears throat> and as I usually say, none of these things actually can account for who Frederick Marx really is. Um... Because I knew all of these things going into our first meeting in our podcast. And when I actually met Frederick, yeah, like none of these things take into account his heart and his warmth and his deep, deep caring and just how much he honestly cares about human beings. Um, I know that's something that I think that's overused. In our world right now, it seems like everybody cares about the world and everybody cares about human beings. And in a world when everyone really cares about everything, does anyone really care about anything? And so I think, you know, people like Frederick Marx are the kinds of people that if everyone else really cares about the world, Frederick really cares about the world. He actually lives it. He, yeah, he lives and breathes mentorship. And in this podcast, we dived into, number one, the need for mentorship and rites of passage for both men and women to grow into adulthood. We also talked about how Frederick's father passing away when he was nine affected him over his entire lifetime and how this old framework of masculinity hurts and shames men for showing vulnerability, which, as all of you know, um, <clears throat> is very near and dear to my heart as someone who has, I can say, challenged, been very challenged by trying to figure out who I am as someone who has a lot of quote-unquote masculine and feminine traits within me. And Frederick is the exact same way. You'll you'll get this later. And, and this is something. Make sure you guys stay till the end of the podcast, especially the last 30 minutes, because everything changes um yeah the la last 30 minutes was powerful there was like a very almost uh, fourth wall breaking moment where we realized that while the beginning of the podcast was great and i don't think any of you would have picked this up but it was a very masculine conversation for the first half it was very much about talking about issues reflecting on things but the last 30 minutes got really vulnerable, really into our hearts and our insecurities. And both of us talked about some of our core insecurities, including Frederick, which I don't want to spoil. But yeah, it was really powerful. And we talked after the podcast and yeah, we had a really beautiful moment where we reflected on that and how all of us sometimes forget that we don't need to act and we don't need to put on a front to feel like what we, who we are is value. Because I think a lot of the time, especially in podcasts and interviews and this whole space, I think there's a lot of pressure on, um, you know, you can call it celebrities or entrepreneurs or coaches or like people are always selling themselves on these podcasts and interviews and that's what we do. We sell ourselves 
we're selling ourselves to our the podcaster to the audience we're saying hey i deserve to be here and it was just really beautiful to at the end go hey you know to like really look at that insecurity in the moment and notice as we both do it in the moment as we're literally talking about vulnerability we're not you know and i think there is there's levels of vulnerability i don't think there's just vulnerability there's levels you know I'm so much more vulnerable naturally than I was two years ago, but I know in two years I'm going to be so much more vulnerable than I am now. And by default, I'm going to be more effortlessly vulnerable. And it's just interesting how these things happen. So yeah, this was a beautiful, beautiful podcast. And yeah, make sure you guys get to the last 30 minutes. Before we begin, I want to take a moment to thank our first sponsor of the show, Listening to Smile, and its founder and personal friend of mine, Ian Morris. Listening to Smile is one of the companies leading the movement to bring frequency-minded music to the mainstream. And for anyone who doesn't know, frequency-minded music is music that is infused with binaural beats and frequencies that enhance and speed up our body's natural healing mechanisms. And Ian's music is actively healing the world and is currently inspiring open-minded leaders in Silicon Valley to include his music in their products and to help them create a workplace culture that is focused on mental health and well-being. And I personally use Listening to Smile's products every single day to support me with stress relief and is my music of choice for my daily meditation practice. And Listening to Smile has two main programs. The first is their personal wellness program, and this is for personal use, and this consists of healing albums for stress relief, pain relief, and anxiety relief. And the second program is their affiliate program. This is what I'm currently part of, and this is for commercial use, and this is the exciting one. So what you get with this is two free starter albums and one brand new album every single month. You also get access to monthly live coaching events with founder Ian Morris and commission earnings on album sales, a 50% discount on all music purchases, and licensing, right, licensing rights to use and resell LTS music for commercial use. So... If you're interested in transforming your life and entering the expanding frontier of frequency-minded music, be sure to go to www.listeningtosmile.com and experience it for yourself. And at checkout, make sure to use code ANTON to get 40% off all albums and $100 off of their affiliate program. So enjoy, everyone. I also want to take a moment to thank our second sponsor of the show, Vidara, and their My Indigo Sun magazine. The mission of My Indigo Sun is to help you live a healthy and inspired life and is dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest information related to the realms of the body, mind, and spirit. And I actually met the founder, Katerina, um, at an event earlier this year. And within five minutes, it was very clear that we were aligned and that we were going to be doing a partnership. And like myself and many of you, the people of Vidara are dreamers who see that the beautiful world we see ahead of us starts with us. So in addition to being their in-house podcaster, I'm also part of the working group helping my Indigo son to transition into a world-class publication. So if you're interested in transforming your life and taking part in an evolving spiritual community, be sure to go to www.myindigosun.com and check out the magazine for free. 
And now onto our podcast with Frederick Marx. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Anton, and our guest today is Frederick Marx. And the reason why I wanted to bring you onto the podcast today, Frederick, is it actually went in two phases. So originally, when I reached out to you, it was very much, I had watched Hoop Dreams, I had watched some of your films, and I was very much, I think like a lot of people that invite someone onto a podcast or an interview, it was really all to do with your accomplishments. You know, all Frederick was to me was an accomplishment, you know, all the things you've achieved. And when we had that meeting last week, I've actually been thinking about our some of our conversation every day for the last few days. Um, some of the things we talked about and just some of the things that happened, because that was, as I told you, um, a, a very oddly meaningful and therapeutic conversation that I wasn't expecting. I went in there just expecting to, I don't know, talk about what we could do on a podcast, talk about a a possible narrative angle. And it really became very emotional, literally to the point where, as you remember, I I teared up quite, quite a bit at one point. And, you know, just, yeah, I, I think I really realized that you that so many people hide behind their accomplishments and they build up this persona and this facade of all of the things they've done and what people expect of them so that they don't have to be themselves because that who they really are is the traumatized kid in early in life. And I remember, you know, checking out one of your talks at Google and I remember telling you this, that I was wondering, okay, is Frederick Marx off camera and on camera, the same person, or am I going to meet Frederick and he's just going to be a guy, you know, just like anyone else that's done some cool things. And immediately within five minutes of talking to you, you know, just your warmth, your presence, the way that you just dove into me, like literally within five minutes of knowing you and talking to you, you know, I shared with you something and you just went, you know, this is what I see in you. And, and I think that you're a remarkable young man at 27 and, and then the things that you shared, and I'm not going to repeat them now, just in case, you know, that will be up to you if you want to share that in the future. Well, actually, I'd, I'd love to. I think that's a great place to begin. I, I do see you as an exceptional man. And what I was asking you was, I get it that you're mentoring others, but who's mentoring you? And, and that's something that, for me, is just fundamental to the well-being, not only of our individual lives, but it's, it's part of the web that connects us as society. And so I just want to see you flourish and thrive. And so I want to see you have a, a number of powerful men stand behind you and say, yeah, I've got my eye on this guy, Anton, and I am looking out for his success. Uh, because the world needs you, just like it needs all of us. But, you know, we're just, it's just you and me here. Well, <laughs> I know you've got <laughs> others, but I mean, you know, for the purposes of this conversation. And so, you know, I want to see you achieve your greatest potential as a human being in this lifetime. So, mm-hmm. so that's important to me. And I'm invested in that, in a sense, with everybody that I meet. 
but I don't see, frankly, quite the same potential that I do with everybody that I meet. So, mm. that, thank, thank you, Frederick. I, I sincerely appreciate that. And, you know, as we talked about before, like, you know, I never really had a father figure in my life and your father died when you were nine. And, you know, from what I've read in your book, you know, it seemed like he was a, you know, I'm sure he was a good man and he had very good intentions, but in, in many ways, it seemed like he was a very broken man from that, you know, call it toxic masculinity, just that era of men not being able to show their emotions and how much I've seen firsthand, how, how much that hurts us. Like, man, you know, having a father that doesn't see and value your emotions and your sensitivity, especially as someone as sensitive and emotional as myself. And yeah, reading your book, what seems to be as sensitive and emotional as you, it's like we live in a culture that says that men have to be masculine. And obviously that's a generalization, but essentially it's like we live in a culture that says men should not feel emotion, should not be vulnerable, should not be sensitive. If, if you are hurt by anything, it means that you're weak. It means that your value as a male, as a man of society is diminished. You were taught that to show vulnerability and emotion, women will find as repulsive that, we won't be like someone else, some more masculine man will come in and steal what we have. And then we have a father figure potentially or a mother figure that drives that again. So you're being told this message from society. You're being told this message from the person that has brought you into the world other than your mother, of course, but, you know, been around you and taught you a lot of the time what you're supposed to know about being a man. And it's like, if, that is all you know and and that was burned into me like constantly and it's like it's been such an uphill battle literally fumbling around in the dark trying to figure out who i am who is anton zakor because all we're given is the version of me i'm supposed to be from my father the version of me I'm supposed to be from society, the version of me I'm told from entertainment, from all the movies, TV shows, and books. Like there is like one, like there is pretty much two archetypes. It seems like in most film and entertainment is the super masculine and the super feminine. You have the very sensitive over, not overly emotional, but extremely sensitive man and extremely masculine. And, and I, I'm, I think you and I are a likeness that we are somewhere more in the middle we have these we like as we talked about before uh, we started rolling you have ambitions you want to be a, a hollywood director you want to be up in the upper echelon and create these cinematic masterpieces these cinematic works of art with these big budgets and actors that inspire you actors that can turn these characters into human beings so you have that ambition and you also have a, a sensitive soft side of you. And I think that it is very difficult to try to believe in yourself when no one else does. You know what I mean? Oh, well, totally. Well, there's probably about four things you said in there that I'd like to circle back to it. Absolutely. And uh, but one of them, I mean, just what you said about cobbling together an image of workable, mature masculinity 
is exactly what, uh, in, in many ways, my life journey is about. And, and, that's, uh, and that's also reflected in the books. But I did the exact same thing you did, you know, trying to cull from here, there, and everywhere, including Hollywood movies, little pieces that I could adopt and go, well, that's something that, that both rings true and that I can respect about what um, the mature masculine looks like. But it really, you know, let's face it, uh, we don't have these models, at least uh, very widely recognized in society. They are out there, but they're, they're under the radar of dominant culture. And so uh, that's why mentorship is so important. That is why it's fundamental. We have to have those models of mature masculinity in close proximity to our own lives that we can draw from and get inspiration from and guidance from and wisdom from. So that's been fundamental uh, for me, at least since I turned 40 in my life. Mm -hmm. Before then, I didn't have that. And so it was cobbled together, cobbled together. But another thing I wanted to touch on, too, about blessing, blessing and acknowledgement. You know, Robert Bly put it so beautifully. He said, American men, and by extension, I'm going to take license and include Canadian men, are the walking wounded unconsciously seeking their father's blessing. Yeah. And I think that is so fundamentally true. And, and that is one of the pillars of the men's work that I've been doing now for 27 years. We're learning how to father ourselves and each other. And part of that is blessing the hell out of each other, seeing goodness, seeing brilliance, seeing wisdom, seeing and, and then blessing it, calling it out, naming it, blessing it, because especially as men, we need that from other men, uh, older men, typically, because we did not get that from our fathers. We did not get that from our uncles. We did not get that from our communities. So that's that's a, a fundamental, deep need in most men. Mm. And, I, and I remember another thing you mentioned when we met the first time is, like you openly asked me, you're like, what mentors do you have in your life? And I, I said, none. I, I don't have any mentors. I don't belong to any groups. I'm starved of community. Um, I feel lonely quite regularly. Um, not from the fact that I need people, but there's a certain physiological need I have, as all human beings do, to be social. Of course you need people. We <laughs> all need people. Human beings are designed to live in community. That's that's the, the nature of our, our DNA. Absolutely. And, 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 and this is a thing, too, though, is that when you asked me that and you said you need to find community, it was super confronting to me because I have these two ideas, and I don't know if you can relate to this in my head. So... I've been told over and over in my life, the only person you can rely on is yourself. And if you need somebody, you're weak. It's like, if you need a mentor, you're weak. Like, why do you need a mentor? Why do you need a group? Why do you need a community? And so I adopted this lone wolf archetype my entire life. Like, if I need anybody, there's something wrong with me. 
And so right. like, you know, you pulling this forward, you, you inviting me into a community, part of me is longing for that so deeply. Like when you said that part of me is like, thank you. Thank you for giving me permission to want this because yeah. I don't feel like I have permission, but go, go on. Well, but that, that's part of the lies that we're handed as men right there. I call going it alone the male disease, right? It's the male disease because we're all taught that. We're all mm. taught that if you can't just rely on yourself, then there's something fuck up about you, right? That, you, that you're incomplete and inadequate as a man. And this is literally killing us, mm. literally, because... By not having extended networks of support, by not living in community, and also by extension, not being acquainted with our emotional lives and sharing them with other men and being and, and receiving theirs, we are actually shortening our lifespan. There's just there's no question about it because all the studies now are in saying that if you don't have EQ, if you don't have emotional awareness, you're going to die at an earlier age. If you don't have close friends and, and people that you can trust and call on in need, you are going to die at an earlier age. These, mm. these things are now statistically proven. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. Part of the reason why I love working with veterans is because they understand this at a almost a cellular level right. because it's, just drilled into them from boot camp. And when they say something like, I've got your back, you better believe it, that they will give their life, their life for you, if that's what's called for, right? And that is inspiring as hell to me. You know, that's how community functions when people care that deeply about each other, that they're willing to give up their own lives for the men and women who stand to the right and left. So that's what we need to sort of reinculcate our culture with. And the way that we get there is, of course, initiation and mentorship. Mm. It is funny that you mentioned that because as you were speaking, you know, this idea of like, you know, I got your back. Like part of me doesn't even believe that's possible. You know, mm. again, being brought up in this society, how many people did I rely on in high school, university, or just various things in life? And they just, when you need them, they're gone. And I think it's, again, what you said, but like you need the initiation because both parties need to understand having your back is important because we oh, live in a society that no one believes having your back is important because everyone believes they're supposed to be this lone wolf. So me expecting or wanting someone to have my back, I don't even fully believe I deserve it. I don't fully believe that anyone would anyway. Like, you know, you can't really trust people because they leave. And the person that you are expecting to have your back also doesn't really believe in having people's back. They don't. And because they don't really believe it's a thing because our society doesn't propagate it, they don't really have your back because they don't see the value in it. So it's like, I, I kind of understand what you mean by you need to be initiated. We need to create this new global myth, this cultural myth where it's important to have each other's backs. It's important to have a tribe, a community, and all these things. Now question for you, Frederick, because um, I know we we talked when we met about some of our mental health struggles, suicidal thoughts, this kind of thing. 
what does your community presently look like? Is this an online community? Is this an in-person? Because you're in San Francisco, if I'm correct. Well, I'm right across the bay in Oakland. But yeah, well, one of the things I write about, uh, in fact, I have a whole chapter in my Rights to a Good Life book called Community. And I define community uh, existentially, which is to say, who am I in proximity with in the moment. At that moment, they are community, effectively. Mm. So when I, for example, officiate a wedding, I say at the beginning, for all intents and purposes, we are community right now. Mm. And so I want you to recognize that and that we all have responsibilities in community to make it function and to make it flourish. So, uh, so you know, I have up to 20 different communities, okay? Some of them are, yes, face-to-face communities. Last night, I was sitting around the fire with nine men uh, I meet weekly with, my men's group. And you better believe that that face-to-face and heart-to-heart connection is fundamental to my well-being. Uh, I love it. I still smell like smoke, actually, this morning. (laughs) So that's important to me. But let's face it, we live also in a cyber world and and communities can function and flourish in a cyber context. So that's fine, too. Uh, So the point is, where do you find common ground with other people? And yes, eventually, hopefully, where can you deepen that common uh, uh, ground to get to the point where you actually have each other's backs in a a fundamental way. Mm. But the reason that that is is an essential component product of initiation is because initiation teaches us interdependence. Interdependence. And this is a lesson that is lost in our modern society, right? Nobody teaches us interdependence, right? But the fact of the matter is because you exist, I exist. And and we've lost that notion, you know, uh, in our society. And and so we have to have each other's backs. Uh, and, and in fact, we see the product of this now, right, with the collapse, capital C collapse around the world, right, environmentally and in all these other systems and structures that are collapsing because we don't recognize that the person who walks down the street in front of my house is my brother. And I have to take care of him, in a sense, just as much as he has to take care of me. And if I don't, we all go down. Mm. So I hear you loud and clear. You know, I face that same issue, that same go-it-alone shadow, if you want to call it that. And it has many forms for me, too. Part of it is I have a perfection shadow, too. Me, too. Me, too. You know, where if I don't if I don't deliver the perfect goods that I'm a fuck up and I'm a failure and I'm a loser. Right. Mm -hmm. So but these are just lies that we tell ourselves. And the fundamental truth is we're all beings of deserving of, of love and connection and light. And we are interdependent. Amen. Absolutely. And speaking of this idea of um, collapse, 
Because, yeah, it definitely seems like economically, environmentally, there's, yeah, it seems like Western civilization as we know it will probably not be around very much sooner in my eyes. I, I just like. I agree. I, I'm an optimist in that I think, you know, again, like I, I'm a very spiritual person. So I believe there's. You know, and not even believe. I, I've witnessed an, an awakening, you can call it, you know, in my podcast communities and just seeing these, you know, Aubrey Marcus and Paul Check and you've like obviously your roommate Ian Morris is a friend of mine and the communities he's part of. And it's like I'm because as a podcaster, I'm so tapped into these online communities around the world. And I just keep seeing these communities getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more people you can call it waking up, but just becoming much more conscious. And if you ask me like two years ago, you know, what do I think the, the future is? It was probably God, like just maybe nuclear Armageddon or just complete ecological collapse. And now I'm now I'm optimistic. I'm still realistic and I know it's not going to be easy, but I haven't written the future off yet. I, I still think there's the possibility that we can do something. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how it's going to happen. But part, like, I, I honestly, it sounds hokey pokey, but like, I feel like I'm kind of part of it. I feel like my whole journey in life and what I'm doing with my podcast is I'm very much planning on getting in that Texas podcast circuit and and adding my energy to this glow this evolving thing because yeah i i think we have a shot and the point i'm driving at in all of this is you've done a lot of documentaries looking at various different peoples and one of them, you uh, looked at the the Buddhists in Tibet, if I recall, the uh, journey from Zanskar. Zanskar. Um, have you, have you in your own time or uh, publicly, have you ever talked talked in depth to um, African tribes, indigenous tribes, Australian tribes, New Zealand, like any of like these very indigenous peoples and have, have you gotten their perspective on what they think the possible future of the world could look like? That's a great question. And I guess the short answer is no, not really. Uh, but every time I find myself in the company of indigenous people, you better believe I try to solicit their viewpoints on all kinds of things. You know, not only the viability of the future of the planet, uh, but particularly cultural things. Yeah. You know, what, what is it that sustains your culture exactly. and underscores your sense of interdependence within your culture, right? So, so that's, that's typically the kind of stuff that really excites me. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't consider myself an optimist or a pessimist. Uh, I just consider myself a realist. And I just, uh, it's, it's partly, it's due to my Zen training. I recognize that, you know, this moment is all that we have right now. And mm -hmm. yes, we know the data. <laughs> we know 
the forecasts of what's coming and how bad things are. And we can do something in this moment. And 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 I and that reminds me of what you were saying too about what you're called to do. That's that's also essential that each of us finds out what it is that we're uniquely called to do, what our contribution to make is. Because it's every for everybody, it looks different. You know, mm-hmm. and so each of us has to find that and then go out there and do it. And so even though you know, the oceans may rise and the forests may disappear and the planet may well burn up. And frankly, human species may be extinct by the end of this century, as some people are predicting. We can still actually go about our day, paradoxically enough, feeling inspired and feeling uh, even joyful by bringing our gifts to the world, because that's our responsibility to do. Mm. And for yourself, um, what, because obviously you've done so much work in the rites of passage area and veterans work and all of these things. What other areas, realms would you, have you thought, or would you like to explore in the future with your documentary or fiction work? Have you thought about branching out into different ideas of ways of exploring the possible futures or peoples? Well, I'm not so sure about possible futures. So, well, yeah. So are we still on the same subject of collapse and sort of what is to come in the future? Is that part yeah, of it? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, because I was, I was getting at like, have you thought about reaching out or doing documentaries on like indigenous peoples and that kind of thing? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, in a sense, I have, as you mentioned yourself with Zanskar. In another sense, I have with even Hoop Dreams, you know, which is African-American inner city people. You know, how are they surviving given racism, given classism, you know, given all of these institutional uh, uh, glass ceilings, you know, that they Mm -hmm. face, all the isms. Uh, But in a sense, my book, Rights to a Good Life, is my compilation thinking on that subject. And the question that I asked myself is, if communities are going to survive through the coming age of collapse, what kind of cultural supports will they need? That's what I tried to make a kind of an encyclopedia of in that book, Uh, breaking it down in lots of different ways. And yes, it all comes back to initiation and mentorship, but it can look very, very different uh, uh, for peoples in different parts of the world and for people in in different ages in their normal human lifespan uh, and different cultural practices. So I try to sort of outline, this is what I think we all are going to need to survive culturally. Now, when it comes, you know, to physical survival, I I don't know much about sustainable agriculture, for example. I don't know much about, you know, hydro and electric power, etc. All of those things, of course, are going to be fundamental. But I'm just talking about human needs, human relations and interactions. Yeah. I definitely think you you and I are 
as you said, we're all here for our dharma. We're all here to do what we're here to do. And yeah, I'll let Zach Bush focus on the ecological stuff and the the uh, regenerative agriculture and all the things he's doing. Because yeah, I believe I'm here for primarily mental health reasons. Um, I think my gift to the world is finding a new framework for understanding and displaying vulnerability. And then you, your big thing, in some sense, seems to be obviously rites of passage, uh, balanced masculinity, and creating responsible adults and just responsible human beings that take care of each other, take care, care of the earth. That is definitely, I feel, one of your contributions to society. And, you know, let, let's let's do some dreaming here. So let, let's say in three three years, you and Jeff Bridges become buddies. He brings you into Hollywood. He says, you know what, Frederick, I really like you, man. Um, I'll help you put up some money. Um, and you have a script idea. You say, hey, Jeff, I'd like you to be in the lead role. He's like, dude, I got your back. I have some other friends. They can do this film at a budget. Um, what? kind of stories would you like to tell have you thought about what you would like to do in fiction more than that i've written two feature screenplays that have just been sitting on my shelf for 20 years basically <laughs> really tell, tell us about those seriously and every few years as needed i sometimes take them off the shelf and tweak them a little bit but that's basically where they where they've been so one of them is a comedy uh, it was based on a friend of mine's short story. A, a brilliant Canadian writer lives in Vancouver uh, by the name of Will Gerda. Uh, and <laughs> his original story was called That's Entertainment. A uh, very short story that I took as a kernel that I built a whole feature comedy script on. And the basic premise is, and this is, he wrote this, I guess, about 1990, maybe. Mm. And I picked it up and I wrote the script, the first draft in 1995. Uh, and so this was all before the, the burgeoning internet, right? And all before even reality television, which is ubiquitous now, right? Mm. So the premise, and it's obviously flimsy now in the contemporary times, but this guy uh, ends up destroying all the curtains in his house. Uh, he's a real oddball character, and he feels like he's going to do his wife and kids a favor. He's going to wash the curtains. So he takes all the curtains down from the whole, this old Victorian house, all these beautiful, and he destroys them in the washing machine. <laughs> because I found that out. You destroy curtains when you wash them in a washing machine. So, uh, so that becomes the premise. And then there's this big high rise going up next door. All these lonely yuppies are out on their balconies sipping their martinis alone every night and looking at his family. And they can see into the windows and hear the kids playing and see the family fighting and everything. And they are drawn, right, to this family drama that's real life unfolding before their eyes. So he gets the idea he's going to make a living. He goes door to door and gets subscriptions. So he gets people to pay a monthly fee to basically sign up and watch his family. Wow. So, so pretty soon he's rolling in money. Anyway, I'm going into far more detail than you want to hear on this story, but it gets crazier and crazier and crazier because the, 
The people then start coming into the house and his wife doesn't know about it. The kids don't know about it, but one figures it out, starts blackmailing him. Anyway, uh, so that's that story. The other one could not be possibly any more different. And it's based on my own family history, and it's set in 1950s Philadelphia. So it's a period piece about the McCarthy period. Mm. So this anti-communist hysteria that went on in the United States at that time. uh, And it's basically a look inside that big bugaboo that everybody's been afraid of uh, in the United States to even take a close look at for over 50 years, what does an American communist family even look like? Hmm. And so that's what uh, this is. It's a story. It's based on my own life and my family's life. Uh, and it's about you know, an all-American communist family, which Mm. sounds like a contradiction in terms, but they were everywhere Uh, in in the, actually, especially in the 30s and 40s, but in the 50s, 60s as well. So it it has a lot of parallels to today's environment where um, it's dangerous for people to speak certain political truths. Yeah. Yeah. because you can get shot down for it, uh, literally sometimes, uh, but you know certainly figuratively. Um, and so it's this whole era of repressive political climate that I'm focused on. And how does a young boy kind of grow up in that environment? And what, mm-hmm. how does he come of age given those realities? So that's mm-hmm. what that's about. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Because I think like one... Yeah, politics is so divisive. And like the moment you say, oh, you know, I'm a socialist, I'm a communist, I'm a capitalist. It's like people, they don't listen to you anymore. They project what their thoughts on that thing is. And they say, oh, you believe this? It's like, well, hold on. You haven't even asked me how I interpret communism, you know? And I think that's such a big thing that I'm I'm learning is – you know, I don't know if I told you this, but like a big theme of my life that I'm walking into that I'm choosing to, to take on is this idea of like courage in the face of um, con- controversy. Mm. You know, um, I've realized that like I had censored myself a lot up until this point. I had kept a lot of my political beliefs to myself and I don't expect anyone to state their political beliefs. That That's everyone's decision. But for me. I kind of have a feeling of where I think my life is going. And I feel like that is to play a bigger role in the conversations of society and, and not being the person who tells people what to do. But I think one of my roles could be the person who outlines the possibilities for people to choose for themselves. Cause I think one gift I do have is I'm very calm. I'm very rational. When I look through things, I'm not very emotional about it. And I can see both sides. Like, I'm not a communist. I'm not a socialist. I'm not a capitalist. Like many things, I am I think there's good things to everything. And one thing I'd love to do in the future on my podcast and in, in the content I make is look at all of these things, the benefits, the problems with all of them in a way that is not scary for people, in a way that doesn't do I want to do my best not to trigger people and to really go like, you know, when someone says they believe something, 
do you attack them before they even are able to talk about what that belief even is? Because I think a lot of the time we get so caught up in ideologies, in the words of things, in the symbols of things, we actually rarely know what anyone is talking about at all. Because really to actually know what someone truly believes, you'd have to have a podcast, a two hour conversation of like, oh, you know, what does that mean for you? And this is all to say, I think one of the gifts of fiction, one of the gifts of entertainment is you can explore the reality of something in a safe container. Like you making a movie about a communist family, you don't have to say you agree with it. You don't have to say you disagree with it. You can just say, you know, this is my, this is one way that this could play out. You could literally even make two movies about a communist family and they both have very different endings. One family burns up and it goes terribly. The other one, they find a way to survive. And I think that I would like to see more of that because as you said, uh, as we talked about before the podcast started rolling about Hollywood, it seems like Hollywood has chased big budget blockbusters, star like the 30th Star Wars movie, the 50th Marvel Avengers movie. And you know, as as you said, I absolutely agree. I don't I, I'm always searching for entertainment that I call it the trifecta. It's like good characters. For me, I'm a romantic, so I usually like a romantic subplot. And then something that has intellectual stimulation. Um, that's really important for me is I like to I don't want to learn like I don't, you know, even when it comes to anything. My main priority right now in my life is actually not to learn things, but to connect with things. Like when I read your book, Rights to a Good Life, I don't go into that going, oh, I, I want to learn new things. I go, I want to connect with Frederick. I want to mm. see Frederick's point of view because I'm at a point right now where I'm actually trying to let go of a lot of my beliefs that I've taken from people, that I've learned, information I've gathered. And I'm trying to take that away and assimilate it into what I actually believe. And so when I listen to like podcasts all the time now, I don't listen to Aubrey Marcus because I want to learn something. I want to just, I view everything I consume, everything I witness and look into as a friendship, as a relationship. I'm having a relationship with your book, Rice of of a Good Life. I'm literally just, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling all the stories, all the interviews, Michael Mead, you, and I'm just, I'm connecting with you through your words. Mm. And so again, this is a long way of saying, I think it could be very cool to make these movies that in a safe container explore things that we don't usually talk about in our society, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, you prompted a couple thoughts uh, for me. You know, one of them, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong about trying to have a political discussion with anybody these days. What I do think makes it extremely dangerous is the question is when (laughs) when Mm. do you have that political discussion so for me what's fundamental is to put it at the uh, maybe make let it be the 10th or 15th conversation that you have because what we need to do because we are such a polarized society is rebuild 
bridges back to each other as human beings across differences. And the way that we do that is by focusing on other conversations. So when you meet somebody and you ask how their kids are doing, how's your spouse, what's happening with your job, we all have those same concerns, right? We all So it's easy to build bonds across those differences very quickly. And so if you just suspend having a political conversation till after you've established, oh my God, yeah, we both love the, the New York Jets and thank God that they're doing great this year. And, you know, how's your kid doing? Did he get over his COVID and all of that? We've got some real history and some real depth of relationship. And then we can weed into, oh, wow, you're a Democrat? Oh, that's interesting. I'm a Republican. Well, mm-hmm. let's, you know, and then so it doesn't mean that we're fighting right away, right? So so that's one thought. Um you know, the other, and it relates to this, a lot of my work is about putting myself in other people's shoes and seeing the world from their point of view. Mm. Really, if you look at all my documentaries, that's in a sense exactly what I'm doing. I'm just trying to get inside the skin of the people that I'm filming and seeing out from their skin to see the world as they see it. And, and so for me, that's actually very exciting. Uh, I love doing that. And I love then t- telling stories that also put audiences inside those skins so mm-hmm. that people can experience something that might be very, very different from their own daily experience, but then suddenly have empathy and appreciation for that difference, for those people of difference. One other last thing related, I'll say, you know, when I was filming in Colorado Springs, I was filming uh, a Christian uh, rite of passage for teenage boys. And I'm not a Christian. And yet, you know, I love Craig Glass, the man that uh, I, I was working with and is still a friend to this day, who's a devout Christian man who is doing beautiful work initiating and mentoring boys. And he uses the the example of Jesus Christ as his life of mature masculinity. And it's Mm. a beautiful example. There's so many lessons there that are so rich. So I I found myself in the home of one of the prospective parents that I wanted to film for this rite of passage with these boys. And we're watching the news or the news is on in the room and there's trouble in the Middle East. And at one point he goes, I just think we should kill them all. And I and I said, well, I'm sorry, who? Who, who should we kill? The Muslims, man. We just need to fucking kill them all. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I didn't say anything, right? And, you know, part of me feels to this day like a coward. You know, mm. like I should have said something like, at the very least, like, well, you know, that might not be productive, you know, or it might not be helpful. But but I didn't say anything. And that was because I, I was focused. My eyes were on the prize. Mm. And the prize is initiating boys. And I certainly wanted to see his son come into the container with Craig Glass and these other boys and get all the benefits of initiation and mentorship that he could get. So that was part of it. I didn't want to blow up that opportunity. Uh, But I also recognized that he and I have commonalities. 
And mm. just like uh, me, uh, he wants his son to grow into the best man that he can be. And so I chose to focus on that in that moment, you know, and to not get caught in some kind of political or other discussion about are our Muslims good or bad or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to share. Yeah. And, and even like that's a very interesting thing, too, because I feel like we live in a society right now where if the average person, if they heard what you just said, they'd be like, oh, that person's a monster. He's a bigot. He's a right wing Republican. How, how dare he say such a terrible thing? And yet, if you talk to him, I'm guessing just just by the basis of what you just said about how you had a lot of other things in common with him and that this was actually shocking. And the fact that it was shocking means that he was a decent human being in probably a lot of other areas. And this was something that seemed out of character for him. And that that's what I find interesting is that, yeah, that was that might have been out of character. And I think we all have these these things. You, I'm, I'm guessing you have something that, you know, if we talked for 30 hours, you'd probably say something that, that I would go, oh, man, that seems out of out of character for Frederick. Same thing with me. You know, you'll probably I probably have this shadow that, you know, after talking with me a, a lot, you're like, that doesn't really seem like Anton, you know, because I might say like, oh, you know, I don't like this. I, I think we need to fix this problem this way. And I think we all have these things. And what it really comes down to, I think is the simple fact that we're afraid of something. We've we've gotten information that has stated the solution to what we fear. So for example, this guy, you know, he's probably if he's been sold this idea that Muslim all Muslims are these terrorists, suicide bombers, all these things. And again, like that makes sense. If 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 you are terrified of something and mm-hmm. someone has told you this is why this is a bad thing this is this is the solution to it and this is the problem for the thing you fear it would make sense that you believe that and i think that we all have versions of that i think that politics is one of the biggest versions of that is okay i feel there's a problem in the world and then i tune into fox news and fox news says the problem is the the liberals or the democrats i tune into cnn and they say oh yeah, we agree. There is a problem in the world. And actually, it's the Republicans. <laughs> so it's like we're all pitted against each other because we we have this feeling of initial fear, just an emotion, just a it's almost like our reptilian brain or instincts are saying there's something wrong going on. And then we plug into something and it tells us that it reaffirms the same feeling we have. And then it tells us the reason. Right. Why that's the problem. And everyone is telling you a different reason. Oh, the reasons because of this, the reasons because of that, the reasons because of ecological disaster, all these things. And so I think a big part of what I'm realizing is I think a potential solution to a lot of this is essentially everything we're always talking about is just be being more vulnerable, being more self-reflective and going like or turn off your TV. Very, very, dude. Well, I, I, I don't don't watch the news at all. I stopped watching the news years ago, man. Like I have that idea. Like if I really need to know something, someone's going to tell me, <laughs> you know? Yep. 
or and you can read in-depth articles too whenever you you know have the time that's what i do but yeah you know that's it's it's fundamental that we we uh unplug you know from the fear mongering that is going on that is really how most uh broadcast media make their money yeah they make their money by inciting fear in their audience and making people so afraid that they think that if they don't keep watching they're going to miss out that something essential is going to happen that they'll not know about when in fact all it's doing is not only inducing more fear but you're exactly right it's it's focusing their fear on people who may not uh, deserve it you know scapegoats scapegoats and that's where all the isms are born too right you know it's those people that group you know and all the finger pointing and and the fact that politicians also engage in this same modality of invoking fear and then they always present themselves as and i'm going to be the guy that's going to take care of all those fears for you <laughs> exactly you know? so vote for me you know well i'm sorry <laughs> First of all, I don't believe that those fears are necessarily real. And secondly, I already hate you and I'm not going to vote for you because <laughs> you're inducing fear in people, you know, right? So anyway, that's my thoughts on the subject. No, I, 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 I absolutely I, I agree with you. And it's like, you know, th this is one reason why I'm at a stage in my life where I'm, I'm catching the travel bug again. Like back in 2018, I had a really big shift in my life. I dropped out of university actually, um, before I finished just in a state of despair. Like I, I realized that the whole future I had planned for myself, I no longer resonated with. Mm. And so I traveled, I went to New Zealand, I traveled British Columbia just, just to see the world. And, th and that was so eye-opening just to like not have a home and to truly move around meet new people all the time go on adventures go on hikes climb up mountains be in nature and it's so interesting how when you are in that state of constant flux you don't get so focused into politics and and all of these issues is very interesting you just kind of like live your life because you're like i don't need to know all these things because i don't live here or i i'm not going to be here for very long or i don't even have a stake or a root in this place and i'm like i'm right now excited to go and travel to different cultures and like, like I, I'm really craving just unplugging um, in some sense, the opposite of what I'm doing right now. Like as a podcaster, I'm always plugged into things. I'm always getting people's opinions on things. I'm talking to you. I'm assimilating Frederick's point of view. I'm in a conversation, a dialogue with you in the, in the world all the time. And it's like I, I'm realizing that I'm craving I, I want to almost like embed into my life a sense of balance, a sense of ebb and flow, a sense of output and then hibernation and reset because I don't know if it's healthy to only 
output and input without that time like i think you almost need to that old adage of go into a cave like literally like don't just meditate in your house because your house is by the very nature of being in your house you're still plugged into everything you you have a a stake in the world because you live in it and it's almost like leaving to go into a just a cave you almost in some sense you get to like emotionally and energetically detach from existence because you go into a place where you have no stake into anything. You know what I mean? Totally. No, I think it's actually very healthy. You know, I consider myself an ambivert. Okay. I decided, you know, I was living for 13 years with my late wife who was very much an introvert. And she actually taught me a lot about introversion and some of the benefits and value of, of that, if you will, going into the cave. She was never happier than when she was sitting in bed reading a book. Yeah, know? I love that. So, so I, I really grew to appreciate my introvert side. Mm. Uh, so I think everybody basically, well, and I'll also say that if I don't have like at least one seven-day meditation retreat every year, I can get a little wonky. Wow. Yeah, I need to unplug. I need to go inside and sit in silence, return to the silence. That is so nourishing and healing. Mm. I think not only for me, frankly, for most people. So I, I do at least one seven-day meditation retreat every year. And I think it's essential that everybody find their own balance between extrovert and introvert. And when they need to go back inside, withdraw, shut off the world and go inside, because as Buddhism tells us, basically every answer we're looking for is in there. We just mm -hmm. have to shut up and sit down and, and for a long enough period of time and we're, you know, the universe will open to us. Uh, mm -hmm. But most people don't have the patience uh, or the willingness to do that. So everybody needs to find that balance for them. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I've even contemplated, I don't know if the word struggle is the right, right word. I think contemplated. I've contemplated my entire existence as a podcaster before for that exact reason, because my base understanding, like, you know, I'm friends with psychics and, and stuff, right? People that are very tapped in. And and so I'm part of that world where most of their knowledge comes from like channels with source, the universe, you can call it. They'll just get downloads. And then it's kind of like it's almost been like an ego death at times for me because I go like the very nature of what I do. It should be if it's productive. Yeah. It's like the very nature of what I do in a sense, Frederick, is like share my opinion with other people, my guests. And in turn, share a opinion with the audience. And in some sense, I'm still learning what, why do I exist? Because if, if, the, if the true nature of truth comes internally, that we all have a truth and we all have a connection with source, what is the role of a podcaster? You know what I mean? Well, I wouldn't say we have a truth. Because th that intimates something fundamental and unchanging, mm. okay? 
And I would argue that nothing is unchanging, right? Everything mm -hmm. changes. And beliefs are uh, one of the most pernicious things that exist out there. Yeah. Uh, and that we have to, you know, hold whatever. I, I mean, theoretically, as a Zen practitioner, I don't hold any beliefs. You know, mm. I all I do is I see what comes each moment. What's reality now? What's reality now? What's reality now? That's all that I sort of use as my reference. Uh, so I, I, I try not to build belief systems or superstructures because it can get dangerous. So um, I wanted to say something else about that. Uh, oh, it'll come back to me. Yeah. Yeah, give it time. It'll come. Yeah, I think that that's, that's really key to a wholesome life, hmm. is to hold our beliefs, our ideologies extremely lightly, if we hmm. can't dispense with them altogether, and, and, and recognize that there is no eternal self, right? that this ego that we construct because we need it to function in the world, we have to have an identity. You are a brilliant podcaster. You, you know, I'm the filmmaker, writer. Um, those are our identities. And at root, there there is nothing that is an Anton, and there is nothing that is a Frederick. All that we really are at our fundamental deepest level is a field of awareness. Mm. That's it. We're a field of awareness. We have all our five senses, and we have our thinking brain and our emotional brain. <laughs> and, and so, you know, sensations, feelings, thoughts, they all come and go. And all we really can do is be aware of them as much as we possibly can. And then skillfully choose how to interact with them. Mm. And that's it. And the more we hold so tightly to our, I'm Anton, and I believe this, and I'm Frederick, and I believe, you know, the, the more, frankly, uh, uh, we suffer. We suffer mm. and we cause suffering, right? Because that's, again, where all the isms come from, Right. Yeah, that's where the idea of the other comes from. Mm. It's a fabrication. It's a mental illusion. Mm. So, so a, que a question, if I may, uh, of of yours, because because I understand that that Buddhist idea of not having any beliefs, and at the same time, we live in a culture that is completely, uh, literally baked into its existence. The idea of beliefs. You know, to be an entrepreneur, to be essentially like almost any job in our society or any leadership position in our Western society is, from my perspective at least, seems to revolve around this idea of the person with the best beliefs wins, 
the, the person who can sell a belief the most efficient way wins like every like my like especially youtube social media i see it all the time and i fall prey to it constantly is this like what is the anton zakor podcast who is anton zakor without my like what is a niche what is a brand it's a belief it is a distillation of existence into three things that you're going to not sell somebody but you're going to dedicate your brand to you're going to you're going to say and every time you come and tune into me we're going to talk about trauma healing and the universe and it's like it is extremely difficult to break free from that by the very nature of of the society we're in so i'm curious with you totally how do you reconcile this understanding um or i don't even know what to call it because i can't I we don't. can't call it a, yeah. i don't i don't i fail <laughs> yeah, yeah i fail thank and you for being honest out, my heart goes out to you brother because i get it and this is how you have to build your brand everybody needs to know i'm going to check out anton and i'll get this you know well you know I'll tell you, I had a conversation in L.A. with a Hollywood agent in 1995, and he's looking at my body of work and he's going, Frederick, how do I sell you? Who the hell are you? You do this, this, you do this, you do this. I can't sell you. There's no brand. I can't sell you. I can't sell you. Right. And that so that dovetails exactly with what you're saying. Right. Everybody. We, well, talk about a belief system. I've never seen a more uh, successful belief system than the one that we live in today under capitalism. And wow. that is basically cons- consumerism is our culture, right? Mm-hmm. And people actually believe that the more that they accumulate stuff, the happier they'll be, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what society tells us every day. Even if we have pain, right? Well, just reach for this drug and that'll take care of it. There's always something we have to buy that's something outside of ourselves. And that is the biggest lie that's ever been sold to the human race. Mm. Nothing is outside of ourselves that is going to have Everything is right here. It's right here, right now. We don't have to go anywhere and look for it. But mm. we also don't have to buy into that notion of, consumption because that's destroying the planet and it's destroying our relationships with other people i don't know mm. I, that's I, I could go on for a while but that's, <laughs> yeah hey hey man and and by by the way um and like what you just said feel free to like if you have an idea and you really want to go into it feel free to talk for like 20 minutes like you know, and I and and, and I and I, I'm, what you say. I I know, and 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 I'm, I'm serious because I've actually like kind of observed you in this conversation, and and I don't know if this is true or not. This could just be my projection, but I feel it's almost like you, you'll be going, and then like you you almost like rein yourself in. In, in, in I do, I do, yeah, because I feel like I don't want to just listen to myself for like the next half hour, partly because I've learned that the more that I'm speaking, I'm not learning. Mm. <laughs> and that's that's why I love my work, because I get to listen to other people. Mm. You know, I'm not listening to myself. 
So, so that is part of it. And partly it's just a pragmatic thing. It's like, I don't want to just like riff for 20 minutes on your show. You might have a dozen other agendas and I don't want to <laughs> upend those agendas, you know? Yeah, I, I, I do. And I think like my biggest thing with that is um, I just see the stress it causes people. You know, I, I, I can I can almost feel what it feels like to rein yourself in mm. because because it's almost like if it is a natural ending, like, oh, you know, I'm just kind of done talking. That'd be one thing. But, you know, I, I've done this. I see it all the time. Like, you know, it's almost just like shame. It's like stop talking, like, you mm. know, rein yourself in. And and I, I can feel the energy shift. I, I can feel like you're on, you're on, you're on, you're 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 just flowing. And then there's like this abrupt energetic shift and like you just cut your energy off. And then I, I can almost feel the shift. And then you like you just close down and you get ready for the ending. And it's just like seeing that in you, I, 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 I'm just like, wow, it's so human. Like we, we all do that. We, we're all taught like, oh, don't talk too much. And it's yeah. like, and, and it's like, it's, it's true. It's like everything you just said, pragmatically, it's probably best to, to listen, you know, and, and, and we learn more when we listen. But at the same time, I just see like, if we're censoring our self-expression unnaturally because that's why i almost see it like censoring is like we're un we're unnaturally censoring oh, ourselves and welcome I, I, to my critic that's my self-critic wow yeah yeah absolutely i think it's very observant what you're saying and i and i think it's it's absolutely true so wow. yeah so that's my self-critic that's 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 beautiful and th thank you for being vulnerable enough to 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 own that and that that's something that i i very much value and love about you is mm. i feel like i'm like all right for, like frederick at his best will be honest with me if, if, I, if i ask a question frederick will do his best to be vulnerable and i i very much value that and yeah, man, I just, I just feel how painful that is. That, that, because it's all from shame. It's all that internal talk. Go on. It's that. Well, no, it's definitely part of it. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. But you know, about the vulnerability thing, though. To me, my number one strategy for reminding myself. <laughs> that this whole Frederick Marx ego construction is a complete illusion is by being transparent, yeah. by not being invested in my self-critic and hiding them away or, you know, saying, oh, no, I, I'm not feeling shame right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, the bullshit. All <laughs> it's all bullshit, right? And because there's there is nothing lasting and eternal anyway about Frederick Marx. So uh, it, it's it's very freeing. It's yeah. just very freeing. And I want to live freely. And it's and it makes me happy, too. So why not? Yeah, let's just love each other, dude. It's like just well and not be defensive. Yeah. You know, it always saddens me to see myself get defensive or to get other people to be defensive. Yeah. It's like, dude, just accept it. Who gives a shit? Okay, you get angry now and then. You you snap at people. Okay, fuck it. We all do. Let's move on, you know? Don't get defensive about it. I'm not talking about you, obviously. I, I know. Yeah. 
Hey, dude, I'm I, I'm 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 right with you, man. And and this is yeah. this is a very good place to uh, to start the the ending of the of the podcast and just yeah. So I just want to sit sit in this with with for a moment with you and just be like, yeah. Hmm. I feel that. Hmm. And, and I love you. I appreciate you. I love you like, too. You don't need to be anything for me. And it's like, just, just know that, like I said at the beginning, I, I didn't bring you on because of your achievements. I didn't bring you on because of your accomplishments. I didn't bring you on because you're going to say some really interesting things. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't bring you on because I wanted you to present something or. Oh, uh, I brought you on. So you'd cut yourself off and we get have a great. <laughs> Discussion about why you're cutting yourself off. Well, th- 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 this this feels like, you know, sometimes I wish we had another hour and a half and, and we'll do this in another podcast. But I feel like in some sense, like the true podcast began right now is like th- this moment of like breaking, breaking the facade because, you know, so. Well- I told you I did a podcast with a friend of mine a month ago. All I talked about was my shadows. That's that beautiful. was like. That was, yeah, well, it was like half the conversation. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about, yeah, you know, I got a scarcity shadow, so it makes me really cheap sometimes, you know. I'm like, I I'm like, no, I don't know if I want to tip, you know, 20%. I'll give her 15%. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I mean, that we I went on for like 10 minutes talking about my shadows. So And do do you think that's okay? To talk about it or to have them? both well to have them is just natural it's just human everybody's got their shadow so these are mine it's kind of like it's the fashion you know the clothes that i wear i'll have like bright hawaiian shirts whereas somebody else might have you know subdued you know uh, Mm. solid color shirts okay it's just it's uh, it's my style uh but um Again, you know, as long as I'm not in any way invested or ashamed about it, it's oh no, it's just real. That's all. It's just real, and it it is what it is. And and the more I can out myself, again, the freer I am. You know. Yeah. Like, do do you think, you know, to yourself, your your own critic? Do you think you're? Do you allow yourself in love to speak for ten minutes about yourself? Maybe even twenty. Well, that's a long time, <laughs> but to do it in shorter bursts, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've certainly learned, you know, to bless myself and to love myself, but I will say that that still remains the final threshold for me. Mm. The final threshold for me in human growth in this lifetime is to love and appreciate and acknowledge myself as much as I do other people. Yeah. And frankly, I would argue that that's true for most people. You know, that a lot of us are much easier, you know, we we can love our friends deeply. Uh, but can we be a a friend to ourselves and love ourselves that deeply as we would our friends? Typically no. You know. And actually this is actually one of the subjects of one of my five veterans films. Uh they do this exercise a group of these 22 women vets. Uh, and that was 
one of the hardest things they did in this whole workshop, man, was to turn that love to themselves. <sighs> there were some women who said, fuck this. I, I can't do that. I'm out of here, basically, is what woman said. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How sad is that, right? Wow, man. That, uh, hey, man, I've been there, too. And and even in this conversation, all my podcasts, there's always a part of me that also is like, be concise. Say say that, you know, did you say that well? And so it's like, yeah, you're not alone, man. Like, I, I got that, too. It's like I, I'm just, I practice in every podcast and every video I make to just like, hey, man, you're allowed to talk. You know, because for the first, like, I've done a hundred and this is the hundred and 17th podcast I've done uh, this week. Wow, one. beautiful. Yeah, in the first 90, I didn't really, I didn't really allow myself to talk, you know? Mm. I would shame myself for talking too much or mm. whatever. And I remember finishing podcasts and being so fucking drained, dude. Just, mm. I was angry. I was frustrated. I'd have a great podcast, but I'd finish and I'd be like, why am I so frustrated? Why am I so angry right now? I'd have to go for an hour walk because I was just so angry. And I realized that I was angry at myself for censoring myself. I was angry at myself for being angry at myself for censoring myself. Like it, it was that whole thing. And I remember a friend of mine just said, dude, you're allowed to talk, man. Like you're, you're allowed to share yourself on your podcast too. Because I had this idea, you know, again, from my father growing up that like, oh, you're arrogant. You talk too much. You talk about yourself too much. You're selfish. You know, growing up, I was constantly told I was selfish. I was constantly told I was arrogant. And so I, I had this complex in me still. Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Don't be selfish. And it's like it literally causes me to be unable to connect with people. You know, because I'm sitting here trying to have a conversation with Frederick, but really having a conversation with myself, beating myself up and making sure I'm not selfish. And when I'm beating myself up in my head, I'm not actually open hearted with you. I'm not connecting with you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm listening to you and having a side conversation. And mm -hmm. I've got a lot better at this, but occasionally it still comes up where I, I have to remind myself like, hey, and it's like, in some sense, you know, pointing that out in you and helping you you and, and being warm with you, being like, hey, man, it's okay. I'm really telling that to myself because if I tell you it's okay to talk, I'm really telling myself and, and it's okay for you too, man. Because well, if that's you, how projection works, right? Spot yeah. it, you got it, we say in our work, right? So you spotted it in me and you got it. But uh, yeah, that's... That's, uh, that's a, that's a, well, and I, I'll, I have an arrogant shadow. There's just no question about it. Yeah. You know, I, I have very little patience for a lot of the niggling details of life. And, and you get me on the phone with a cable vision. Uh, <laughs> like, oh my God, I want to kill myself. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, so you know, that's, yeah, that's yet another of my many shadows. Uh, and you know what? Uh, sometimes that line gets a little gray between, yeah. well, what is arrogance? You know, I'm talking here for 15 minutes versus, you know, what is actually living my mission? Yeah. Dude. That's why we need other people, you know, to just keep reflecting back to us 
the what they what they have for us yeah and you know it's it's really important that we have that input and sometimes it can be brutal yeah you know like frederick you, you fucking like owned the floor for half an hour you didn't, <laughs> give, you didn't give room for anybody you know i'm like okay well i need to hear that and then if i hear the same thing from two people i'm like yeah. oh well now maybe i really need to let and if it's three or more you better believe that I'm like, okay, this is input I've got to take in and, and consider. Mm. If it's just one person, right, it can be a crank. Yeah. You know, it can be their shit and just their projections and who knows. But, you know, the more people it becomes, the more likely it is that there's some truth in that. Amen, brother. Well, this was some beautiful medicine at the end of the podcast. This was <laughs> honestly, this is my favorite part of the whole conversation. Last fifteen minutes, like getting, getting, get, getting to the real stuff. I was like, yes, so, something vulnerable and real. And uh, this now is is shameless plug time. So now, if you want to share with me and the audience <laughs> anything you're working on, any where people can find you, go nuts. Have some fun. Well, thank you. Uh, well, my website is warriorfilms.org. Uh, and you'll find an awful lot there. And typically, we give away my talks, my blogs, my short films, and we do try to monetize my long films. I have a new five film series on veterans that's out there. It's all about healing and transformation. Uh, you can buy them off the site along with some of the other films. You can find my two books, uh, soon to be three books, there on the site. Uh, and perhaps most importantly, you know, please just sign up and join our extended family. Uh, just give us your name and email. I send out newsletters about once a month. I always make them full of good news and uh, humor. Yeah, because I like to laugh. Uh, so I, I put in funny stuff all the time. Uh, and of course you can always easily unsubscribe too, if you want. <laughs> so, you know, that's essential, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that's, oh, and one last thing in my next film, uh, is going to be about life honoring celebrations. Hmm. And it's, uh, it's a part of a side mission of mine that nobody leaves this planet without having a ceremony where they get to experience firsthand all of their extended family, friends, and colleagues who they impacted positively in their lives and get that feedback from them, from people looking in their eyes saying, I love you, and here's what you did to make me a better person. And then for me personally, I believe that nobody deserves to leave this lifetime with anything less. We mm. want to experience some of the ripples of impact and change that we've made in our lives. We all deserve that. So the working title of this film is It's Your Wonderful Life. So that's that's a journey that I really welcome any of you to join us, join us on. And if you actually are dying yourself or you know somebody who's dying, then please reach out because I'm looking for stories right now to film. And we want young people and middle-aged people and, and not just the elderly. We want people of all ages because death finds us at all ages. Hmm. So please, yeah, sign up, join us, and become part of our community. Hmm. Beautiful. And and one thing I, I can absolutely vouch for all of Frederick's work because 
I I've I'm about halfway through your Rights of a Good Life book. I viewed I think all of your documentaries and I want to say like they're really good, but that doesn't mean anything. But what I can <laughs> what I can say is I think I actually cried in every single one of your works. I cried in Hoop Dreams. I cried in the veteran one. I cried in the the journey to Sandscar. I cried in your book. And it's like that. Like I I don't say things that are like good or bad anymore. I just say did I cry or not? Did 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 I did I feel something enough to have an overwhelming emotional response? And in if I'm correct, every single one of your works, I have. So that wow. is my biggest. Um, yeah, I can confidently can I tell anyone. from you. Absolutely, <laughs> man. I cried at every single <laughs> one of your films. That's great. I might put it on my site. No, absolutely, man. I'll even give you this uh, this video this video version if you want a video version <laughs> of it too. Um, but this was an absolute pleasure, Frederick. So thank you for coming on. And hopefully everybody who's watching, you all enjoyed this. And I'll see you in the next one. I love you. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the show today, everybody. If you enjoyed it and you want to show your support, be sure to click the subscribe button and share this podcast with someone you feel will enjoy it. And before we go, I want to take another moment to thank our sponsors, Listening to Smile and Indigo Sun. And if you're interested in anything I mentioned regarding either of them, be sure to visit their websites, which are linked in the description of this podcast. And that's it. So I'll see you all in the next episode. I love you. Bye.